the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 456. Today, welcome Nick Whitehouse to the show. Thanks for joining, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's your first time on the show. Yes. Yeah. So maybe we should start with a little little intro uh, for guests, just to uh, for listeners to uh, know a little bit about where you fit into this big wide world <laughs> yeah. of uh, of tech in New Zealand. Yeah. So I'm chief executive co-founder of McCarthy Finch, which is a legal AI. Um, startup and it's come out of Minter Allison Red Watts Coat Ventures in New Zealand. We're kind of a global organization um, doing things US, Australia, New Zealand predominantly. Prior to that, I've been chief digital officer. I've been in telecommunications, I've been in television, and now I'm in law. So, um, all things tech really is, is kind of what I've done over my life um, and done some very weird, wonderful, leading edge stuff. Cool. Well, very much looking forward to hearing about McCarthy uh, Finch during the show. Uh, but to get started, there's, uh, there's a bit of tech news to go through yes. and, uh, and, and chit-chat about. Uh, first up, Apple. Now, we're going to hear all about what's going on with Apple. Um, probably around the time people are actually listening to this episode, uh, Apple will have unveiled their, uh, their their bits and pieces, depending. I mean, everyone listens at a different time. If you download this immediately on uh, on Tuesday early evening, or if you're watching the live stream on Facebook, then yeah, you're you're ahead of it all. Uh, but it, it it seems like we will have another unveiling in the early hours for us uh, Kiwis. Five a.m. Uh, Wednesday morning of all the latest and and greatest from uh, from Apple. Now you've been in this tech world for a, a long enough time to have seen uh, to have seen the sort of rise and fall of a lot of tech companies. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on on Apple and where they where they are at the moment in their life cycle? I I think that they so I'll put a bet out there and I'll be wrong in a day, <laughs> but I, I think that this is going to be a so so. Um, kind of announcement. I think they've built it as innovation everything or, or something like that. Um, but from everything I've kind of heard, it's it's 2020 that they're looking to unveil something big and impressive. Um, and I think that's probably a point in time for Apple where the, the kind of love affair is going to stop, um, where they could command consumers to buy products just because they're releasing them. I think the competitors are too good now. They're not are not only too good, they're ahead um, with um, trying things, whether it be the disastrous folding phone from Samsung and um, other players or the fact that people are moving to 5G now. Um, that's their largest product line, iPhone, and it's no longer the best phone in the market. Um, so if they're not leading in that space and that's their number one kind of revenue stream, wh- where to next? And I think... Um, they are trying to push into services, those service plays, I think, um, doing that when your consumers are starting to not be warm on you anymore is probably getting a bit like close to the, the edges of where they want to be if they wanted to do the services play and really make something of it. Of it. Three years ago when everybody still loved them would have been a great time to have done that. Um, so I, I actually feel like they, they're scrambling a little bit. Johnny Ive's gone, um, that that. Gold, the golden years of Apple, I'm saying, I believe, are kind of over. And um, what everybody is hoping for, I know that that's kind of the anticipation. Are they going to pull something out of the bag? 
or is it just going to be the same old iteration on what we did last year? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting analysis. I mean, certainly when you look at their business, the move into services seems as though they've, they've been somewhat slow moving, but it is an obvious play for them in terms of um, helping to create those stickier relationships with, with their fans. Uh, you know, the more they can pull people into this sort of ecosystem, uh, the harder it is for people to leave, right? And, mm. uh, you know, if someone's got an Apple TV and an Apple Watch and an iPhone and they're subscribed to TV Plus and Apple Music and all these other bits and pieces, then there's potentially a relationship there for life regardless. Um, maybe not not entirely, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of relationships that just, you know, continue on because that's the, that's the default, that's what people have always had. I guess it crosses over a little bit with discussions we've been having in, in recent weeks and that have been had in, you know, varying main, mainstream uh, media discussions certainly, of, you know, I've had on radio recently around the whole uh, Spark Sport versus Sky Sport type mm-hmm. thing. And there are so many people who are not ready for a new streaming sports service for change. Now, that's a much bigger change, you know, you could say, than than um, changing a phone. But when you look at it as a whole ecosystem and somebody's embedded, then they're much less likely to um, to, to move. And and that's why, yeah, it seems there's... There's quite a bit of concern around what the Rugby World Cup uh, experience is going to be like for some because there's such a big change. And there's a bit more to it. Some people just don't have the connectivity as well as don't have the, oh, yeah. the technical interest or the expertise to you know, to, to necessarily be, uh, uh, be excited about uh, you know, what things are going, to, uh, are going to be like in order to, for them to, uh, to watch the Rugby World Cup. That said, I was at an Airbnb out uh, near... Uh, Waitomo Caves over the weekend and I was thinking oh what's the internet going to be like here it was a, it was actually I wouldn't have minded actually if there was probably you know next to no uh, internet would have been quite quite nice although in the end we did have a there was a, a podcast that came in from the US that had to be uh, looked at and uploaded and a few other bits and pieces um, but actually they were using a wireless internet service provider and uh, and had a very good uh, very good service yeah I mean when I when I was at Spark we you know we put 4G coverage onto the intercity buses that travelled up and down the country, right, and um, enabled people to watch videos on their bus as you're driving through and taking up all the bandwidth from a yeah. cell tower in some poor city yes. or some town <laughs> along the way down to Wellington or something like that. But but I, I think the technology, I mean, if we dwell on the um, kind of Rugby World Cup, because I think that is probably going to be for New Zealand or a large portion of New Zealand, one of the biggest technical debate or technology debates for the next few weeks, right? Um, we were doing, uh, I think it, it, this technology has been around for a long time. Um, I, I think it hasn't, broadcast television is very hard, having come from broadcast television myself. It isn't easy. And I remember... Um, doing a live cross with Anita McNaught. We did the first Skype uh, broadcast in New Zealand. And this has got probably going back 14 years, something stupid, um, which shows my age a little bit. But um, 
we we're trying to do this live broadcast at 6 p.m. when um, we were worried in New Zealand that at 6 p.m. everybody's using dial-up and broadband in New Zealand, the bandwidth overseas was going to dwindle so much that we couldn't do a live broadcast <laughs> over Skype on the 6 p.m. news. So I think we've come a very, very long way to be broadcasting television um, like the Rugby World Cup and having the freedom of choice for, to be able to watch the games that you want to watch, not in the way that um, the broadcaster has decided, because I think that's one of the big problems that um, people have with, with broadcast television is how fixed and how you're being pushed into what you want to watch and then getting bro, bro, um, getting bandwidth on a satellite or getting bandwidth, terrestrial bandwidth to be able to provide those channels is very costly. So I think this is the right way to go, but there are, there are far more problems for at an end user uh, level in terms of the bandwidth they get, in terms of the compute they, the computers they have, in terms of the television. So I think it's it is one of those things that is very, very hard for the likes of Sky, uh, the likes of Spark, to get right for such a premium event. Well, well, I don't think that they... I think they've probably done everything they can do you know, excellently. And I think it was um, on RNZ on, on late last week that, you know, I was saying, look, you just... You just you're going to have some problems, but... Um, actually, this it's a good it's a good thing. We need to go through this these sorts of transitions. We need the competition. Uh, we need to be moving moving forward and getting you know up with the play with mm. with you know, newer technologies. Um, so back to Apple. You know your comments were that Apple are behind on smartphones. They don't have the best phone anymore. Um, I guess these things are always open to some debate, but it, it, it's fair to say that any of the top phones now deliver some really awesome results in terms of performance, in terms of the display, in terms of uh, mostly battery life, um, cameras stunning. I actually found myself this weekend with top Samsung, top Apple phone, Waitomo Caves thinking why on earth did I leave my Huawei P30 at home mm. and I'm usually juggling and trying out different phones and and um, that was that was the one one time where it was like, look, I could have left every other phone at home and I would have got the best result. So how do you, how do you with, live with the with the Huawei tech? Because it you, probably would have you know let me get some good yeah. glowworm photos and <laughs> you know videos. And, how, and how do you live chopping and changing between phones so much? Um, it it has its challenges. I mean the way the way I do it is I generally always carry an Android and always carry an iPhone. Yeah. Um, so if there's, you know, something on the iPhone side or whatever, um, then I can do that. And then I've, I've got an Android, but yeah, the, the problem is that it's actually still, still annoying, a lot less annoying than what it was to get stuff from one phone to another. Mm. So if I, you know, got the, whoops. <laughs> Speak of the devil, and I, and I thought I'd uh, <laughs> thought I'd turn these things down. And one of them starts ringing. The phones ringing. want to have a say. Um, um, uh, yeah, so you you get things like, and and maybe someone will tell me there's a software solution. There probably is to sync up my text messages across uh, multiple Androids because it is a, a more open uh, ecosystem than than what uh, iOS is. But yeah, it'd be it'd be great. I move my sim around to actually mm. have this the you know the same messages available on on every uh, every device. 
Um, I guess, yeah, it's, it's just important for me to be trying out the different technologies, really, and keeping up with the play on on either side, you know, Mac and Windows and the different pieces of hardware. And I think generally, we, I mean, we have some really excellent devices and software available, pros and cons of each platform. Um, but I, I totally understand where, yeah, where you're coming from in terms of, yeah, what are the best devices. Um, I'm not on the top iPhone at the moment because I broke it and had to send it back to Apple. Um, <laughs> so that was, that that's was me the dropping like eighteen hundred dollar uh, twenty twenty six hundred dollars twenty six hundred dollars. Um, so yeah, wow. it's so it's not it's not night. We're not in an ideal world, and uh, in those regards, that. you get some. It would be a great car, but you could buy a car for that. <laughs> but we get some good benefits of the competition, yeah. right? Mm. I mean, if there wasn't the same level of competition that there is. You know, yeah, would would we be paying four grand for a top yeah, iPhone? Well, I, think, I, well, I, I I don't know. I mean, we've seen those prices rise, and I think in you can some justify that, them though if you're that, doing the R and D and putting in five G and you're doing foldable phones and and you're going down that path. And I say this as a guy who's sitting here with an I, Apple iWatch, a iPhone, an iPad, yeah, yeah. and an Apple Mac back <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the office. So yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not the, I'm not the Windows fanboy kind of dissenting against Apple here. But yeah, um, I think you get, you can get into feeling a little bit disingenuous with your pricing, if the, uh, if you're not seeing the benefits of the R and D mm. or that that R and D cycle that has been created around all the technology from the likes of Samsung, Huawei, and um, the micro, uh, Microsoft, they're not in this game, um, Apple. So you get into this yearly kind of cycle, and mm. um, I think that, that we're seeing the pressure of that now because yeah. the consumer yeah. pushback on a, you know, once upon a time where you paid $900 for an iPhone and that seemed absorbent to get to 2600 Yeah, It's kind of crazy, especially if that phone doesn't have 5G in it and it's going to have 5G in it next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big investment for a consumer to make. Bigger, yeah. bigger when you're feeling the impacts of China, China the tariffs and on China and that market, right? So yeah. I think there are a lot of kind of things happening here um, for Apple, which kind of make this a, a kind of if this if this kind of just falls through the cracks of history is just another so-so kind of event. I think we're gonna we're gonna see some pushback from consumers. I think they'll have a very bad quarter over Christmas. Yeah, well, we will we'll see how that uh, how that pan pans out, um, but. Yeah, certainly the level of competition they 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 have now is you know worlds apart of where where it was mm. a, a few short uh, years ago. But certainly their uh, their their numbers are still pretty strong. They seem to be doing well. Doing, they got the cash you know, in the bank, do, right, doing okay, so. even when in sales in China <laughs> and other markets yeah. don't pan out as well as what they want. But yeah, they're sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars of cash, which is uh, a nice position to be in. A um, couple of devices wanted to talk about uh, Nokia four point two handset now. We just talked about a new um, Nokia, Nokia, um, a couple of weeks ago at a hundred ninety nine dollar price point. The um, the four point two has launched into New Zealand. It's a, I guess compared to the one we we looked at, which I think was the was it two point. All these numbers they do my head in. Two point one, two point two, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the 4.2 is is at a higher price point. I think launched here at um, about three three forty nine into the New Zealand market. Although I see just um, just googling it, you can already get it at looks like a, 
about a seventy dollar discount. Someone's doing it for uh, for <laughs> two, for two two eighty at the moment, uh, which which is typical. It looks quite sort of um, similar in terms of style to the smaller um, Samsung Galaxy S. 10 with the curvy mm. edges, very iPhone sort of like, uh, but you got a dual camera on there. Um, and typical for what we're seeing out of uh, out of Nokia is when you compare it to the Asian uh, brands, you're not getting as much bang for your buck in terms of uh, performance and uh uh, you know, camera kind of firepower, I, I suppose, for your money. But it is probably one of the better, better looking. Um, well, I don't know about better looking because I've actually liked <laughs> most of the most of the Nokia devices over over the last couple of years. They're, they're usually reasonably tough and and sturdy, and they really seem to be at the top end of Android. You know other than the, the Pixel devices in terms of getting uh, Android updates, and they're, they're saying that they're aiming to get, or I think it said on the box, up to three years' worth of updates. Uh, so, wow. and this is an area where, you know, giving credit to Apple, where they still, you know, Apple was st- mm. still by far the most consistent in terms of updates, and you know, as we we get a new uh, version of iOS about to land, that will be available over you know a number of years worth of worth of iPhones. Everyone gets it at the same time. Um, not notwithstanding the recent uh, security uh, issues that Google highlighted around mm-hmm. uh, iOS and that window being open for uh, for some time. Um, yeah, rather amusing actually seeing uh, seeing the two companies sort of uh, yeah, attack well, G- each other G- on, on on that one, right? Well, Google's just admitted that they've got a security flaw in the Gmail calendar, um, and that's been there for some eighteen months as well. So, I mean, there's some interesting kind of tit for tat yeah. on um, security issues. I, I, on the Nokia phone, I think um, I, I'll go back to. The Lumia, where um, I, I was, I was probably the last person in New Zealand on a Windows phone. I think Microsoft employees <laughs> left Windows phone before I did. I loved Windows phone. I always used to joke that there were, there were no apps on Windows phone, so I never got app fatigue. <laughs> you know, I used it as a phone, a massive, massive um, camera. But I think Nokia create good products. They always have created good products. Um, the, the thing here is going to be the... That that's out of their control is the the software and how that works with the hardware, right? And so, whilst you have a CPU designed for this version of Android, how does that work as people add more and more apps to it and that ecosystem updates? And I think those are all these kind of the challenges when you're just the hardware manu- manufacturer. That's where um, Apple kind of wins because they control the software and the hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. But the the phone, I think the phone itself. I mean, I'd heard that it, it was a bit laggy, um, but I've played with it and it, it seems perfectly, I mean, for $280 on a deal, I mean, that's a pretty good phone for what you're getting there. I just, I, it's definitely different different market to what I would, as a consumer, buy. Mm, um, mm. But I think you, you're seeing that disaggregation of these markets. We're talking about India as a market um, and, and, you know, you talk about fleet fleet mobile phones for businesses I think there's definitely markets for that stuff yeah I I think uh, 
look, they've carved out a, a space for themselves in the market. And if you look at the percentage they have in the market, you know, it's a shadow of of what you know, Nokia themselves had. And of course, now it's a licensed brand, but it's still actually coming out of um, um, Finland. And you know, you've got a lot of the original uh, Nokia phone. Mm. Uh, people in, involved in that uh, in that business and look yeah I, th- I think they've they've got uh, they've got something good going on there um, it's not uh, competitive in every single way with every product but it, it you know it's uh, it's its own niche and uh, yeah I think it uh, I think I think it works reasonably well for them so um, I, I certainly hope that we Stay with an Android market where there's a, you know still a good bit of competition and uh, um, and the pressure that they put on the others also you know helps. Well, there's a the, big the slot. likes of Samsung I mean, and, yeah. and so on to uh, to step up their there's game a, on, yeah, on well, updates. There's a big gap opened up with the ban on Huawei being in uh, on Android, right? And so mm-hmm. so there definitely is a gap. There's there's a big opportunity there for somebody to step into that space. Yeah, yeah. Um, now on. Um, you know, we we often talk about technologies that are maybe not quite there yet, shall uh-huh. we say? <laughs> and these uh, drones that are big enough to uh, to carry us sort of fall fall well, into maybe normal in, into, size people, maybe not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reduce the battery of a uh, of a drone person carrying drone pretty quickly. Well, <laughs> um, I, yeah, even even for. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure I would be uh, um, confident enough in the technology yet to put my, you know, eight-year-old son in one of these. And mm. uh, you know, he's 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 a lot lighter than, <laughs> than us. So, you know, there, there's a way to go on this technology. Um, but we just, you know, had news through that uh, Velocopter, uh, which you know is one of these companies. They've basically got this little. It, it does look quite helicopter-like, but it's got this big. Uh, circular yeah, like sort of DJI section on, on, on top, like yeah, with <laughs> lot lots of uh, smaller rotors. Like uh, I don't know how many there are, maybe uh, yeah, fifteen or, or so. Which on the on the positive side gives you probably a lot more peace of mind than some of the other yeah. products that are rotor stops. Yeah, five it's of like, those well, rotors you know, fail and you're still going to gracefully land on the ground, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're talking about a three-year timeline for their flying taxi service. So, yeah, we, we've been you know hearing from these firms over a number of years, still you know, a few a few years out. But that's look, if they can uh, if they can have the, this this thing working in, in three years. Uh, VTOLs, as they call them, vertical uh, takeoff and and landing craft. Uh, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, I think it changes. I mean, you look at the tens of billions of dollars that even a small country like us puts into roading, um, and you're going, well, three years time, these things are going to be a market. Give it ten years, give it fifteen years, these things are going to be common. Um, what does that do to the billions of dollars that we're putting into roading? Um, I think that's the sort of disruption that I think is great. I've spent quite a lot of time in um, LA. Um, we've had an office out there, and I can assure you, flying anywhere, I don't care how safe the technology is. You only <laughs> need to sit on an LA road for like an hour every day to want to 
to want to fly. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that causes you causes your head to. to your explode. risk tolerance just just changes it automatically yeah. in that sort of traffic. I've got caught up in LA traffic. In fact, once I had lots of hours I flew into LAX. I thought, oh, I'm going to go and you know visit somewhere. And I must have been two hours into the traffic before I just decided, okay, I'm going to turn around and go back to LAX. Yeah. There, there, there's just no point, you know. No, no, no. Yeah, um, it's just madness. You, you live in it. You live – I think what you see in a, a city like LAX is um, people living in tribes very, very much. Yeah. They live within a five-mile radius. They do everything within a five-mile radius. And I know that Uber has been talking about setting up in LA with these sorts of – taxi services and i think those are those are perfectly um those are very exciting kind of ideas three-dimensional space as opposed to the two-dimensional space and making sure you're not colliding into things and and all that's going to be very very interesting um especially as you get more and more of these things in the air but i i think there's a novelty in it i think there is a question as to how we organize infrastructure based on it um and I, I think those are all really good things to be asking because we've been pumping more and more money into um, roads and you, you, it will never keep up. And from a cost-benefit um, kind of modelling, it just does not necessarily make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's an exciting area to watch. And, you know, of course, we've had those trials going on uh, in New Zealand as well in the, in the South Island. Um, for uh, for this sort of technology with Cora, Air New Zealand have said, "Hey, we're you know we're on board with this." So you never quite know, uh, you know, until something arrives, just how good it's going to be, and then once it does arrive, how long is it going to take to get really good? Yeah. And and you know, there's I guess there's a lot of that at the moment around um, social media. And you know the role of artificial intelligence in terms of maybe cleaning up of some of what goes on mm-hmm. in social media. Yeah, we've we've just had um, you know had the prime minister uh, meeting with the the CEO of Twitter this week, and yeah, again these discussions of you know have have come up of the role of technology and how, you know how how quickly can it can it advance to. Uh, you know, meet these needs of trying to uh, uh, control and, and and block what goes online. That seems to be quite a long journey uh, to, to, oh, to 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 solve a lot of these issues. Um, I think there there are two aspects to this. One one is I I think we're seeing some really horrible stuff from fake news to hate speech uh, on on every social medium. Um, but I think that's what happens when you amplify all conversations, right? And so there are a huge amount of benefits from that amplification, from minorities and the genuinely disenfranchised people finding a voice and actually having an outlet and, and feeling like they're connected. Um, but the converse of that is the, the dark side of, of people and, and communities also gets amplified. And policing that, I think, is really, really hard because I don't, I don't actually believe it is on the tech companies to police it in terms of setting those rules. I think governments, governments need to uh, elected governments based on what society believes should be an elected government needs to be setting those rules. And where we've got this, um, pro- where we've got a problem is that these platforms now exist across multiple, multiple, multiple um, different uh, jurisdictions, and that. 
that makes this a very hard thing to kind of police. When when you talk about putting AI in to kind of do that, I mean, I'm I I think that that you can set that and you can say we don't want to see hate speech. Um, you you just need to be aware that by turning that down, you will be turning down um, the good side of things as well. Yeah, that that that's reality, right? You know, I mean, look at look at spam uh, filtering, right? It, it, it somewhat falls into into similar. Oh, it's uh, some exactly, similar types uh, yeah, of, of, exactly of categories trying to work out whether something's legit or not. And I think the systems on that, they've been focused on it for you know, a long time, have actually got have got pretty good, it's fair to fair to say. Mm-hmm. But still they're they're not perfect and uh, you know, sometimes yeah, there'll be, there'll there be is, something. There are definitely the right some place. non there are definitely non tech solutions here as well. I think as a community we need to be vigilant um, and we do need to report this stuff. I don't think, I think after the Christchurch terror attack, I think there was a lot of, I know in my group of friends, there was a lot of com- communicating, would talk about how do I, I'm, wor- I'm legitimately worried about some of the discussion that I am seeing on Facebook or, or Twitter. Um, Twitter's a bit easier because it's quite public. Facebook can be very private and, and you have people going, what do I do? Because reporting, reporting something that I am quite, concerned about just to Facebook doesn't feel like the right response. Can I contact the police? Do I understand how I do that? And and I think there's a whole bunch of education there as to what you can actually do if you see somebody who you feel may actually be acting on that hate crime um, or that hate speech. And and I think there is a, ver- a lot of non-tech stuff here that we need to kind of make sure people are aware of and can do. Um, and critical thinking is the other thing. I mean, if you move from that really malicious stuff to fake news, um, I think critical thinking is a is a is is a skill that everybody should be being taught, and that's a very non technical uh, solution. But um, if we if we're having people, uh, you know, forgive for, forgive me all the flat earthers and anti vaxxers and, and all of that out there and listening to this. But if we're having people that passionately believing in this stuff, we need to question how did we get there. And I don't believe it's just the tech that has got us there. Um, I think there's stuff through from education all the way up to getting us there. And so so I do think that um, whilst the focus is on the platforms and the technology, there are some very non-technical things that we should be looking at um, to kind of solve these problems as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I mean, you know, I've, said for some time I think a lot of it falls back on us right when you when you hear that so many people uh, were seeing that Christchurch terror video and yet Facebook was saying well nobody was reporting it um, you know there's uh, there's some challenges there you know you talk about well do, you know how could we alert the police what would be the process for that and then yeah, what resources do the police have, and mm. and, uh, and and how does that fit? And when are we flipping society on its head and and having you know everybody dob in other people and who draws the lines and what's acceptable and what's not? And you know we all have very differing no, opinions on on all sorts of things. And you know um, someone on on the on the couch where you are, another podcast that gets recorded in here, uh, you know, was talking recently around uh you know how how those that haven't uh, um maybe had their families vaccinated that they they shouldn't be entitled to 
payments from you know the government in, yeah. in terms of benefits Dr. And, Sullivan and, maybe. And, and, and so on so you know we've we've had some intre- yeah some yeah, interesting I, but, but these um, are, these you know chats but uh, yeah it's it's not a it's, these these things aren't necessarily easy but as you say it's not all down to the technology no no and I think these conversations need to be had um, as communities and as a society and I don't know if we do that anymore I think I think we keep our opinions to ourselves before we can get behind a keyboard and find the same voices who support us and kind of sit in an echo chamber at times as opposed to having robust conversation and actually understanding how democracy works in terms of majority kind of rules um, and I think that 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 is I think that has been amplified it's been amplified by the platforms I don't I don't think we're as connected to democracy anymore because we can find our own tribes and just live in those own tribes um, that are that are quite digital. And and these are challenges for governments to think about how do they reconnect with their citizens and how do they make sure that the principles of democracy are still being upheld by their citizens. Mm. Well, I think the the technology platforms have enabled a, a level of polarisation that didn't didn't exist before, or you know, if it did, it was it was done in different ways. And so, yeah, you've got a situation where, where people you know, might not engage on on channels because, you know, in a normal you know, sitting in a room like this, there's just a couple of us here chatting, and then nobody else is listening in. We we could chat about anything, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Except for the fact the mic's on and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so We're on, um, you know, we, we 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 could chat and share some opinions, but of course we don't tend to do that on on the you know some channels in some ways as as we once would have because oh you know my opinion is sort of slightly off what what might be considered the the current yeah, uh, think, you know, stream a, and, and so what, what's going to be the response to that? It's the digitization of and, your opinion, right? Your yeah. opinion lives for eternity on the internet where yeah. in reality you're a person who can have a conversation and change your opinion. That doesn't happen necessarily on the internet. If there's a soundbite of you on the internet, that is what's going to haunt you for the next 25 years or 30 years, mm, right? Mm, mm. And I think we've lost that connection to the fact that you may change your mind. And actually, that your mind may have been changed, and there's not a lot of forgiveness. For it's that a great on the point. We need to we need to encourage actually being a little bit more forgiving and relaxed, and you know that yeah, let, let people figure stuff out. And if that happens in public, then uh, uh, then so be it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, also on that artificial intelligence uh, front, I decided uh, to. Hit up Tesla while I'm while I'm waiting on uh, my Model Three to arrive to try up one of their uh, vehicles, uh, one of the performance um, long-range uh, models, and get a little bit more time with it. And I think it's fair to say for me, the, there's there are a lot of aspects of what Tesla are doing that I you know I find fascinating, but the bit that I'm very curious about and why I I want to spend a sort of longer period of time. Uh, with the technology is that it is constantly sort of changing from a software perspective. And I haven't really seen a whole lot around how their autopilot sort of tech works down under here in New Zealand. And so I wanted to give that a little bit of a try. And so I had a pretty fascinating weekend um, (laughs) with my family in the car. So, you know, definitely... You know, I was um, had a, had a good level of caution, as I think anybody should that wants to try out uh, the technology. 
but it's fair to say that Tesla are doing uh, doing a pretty good job with some of their tech, but it does seem as though we're uh, we're we're a fair way off uh, being in a position where you can um, you can fall fall asleep in your car. Now I did sort of joke with my wife about that as we'd be we're about forty five minutes uh, out of Auckland, which was probably only about two kilometres out of Auckland with the rush hour traffic <laughs> on Friday. Um, no, not 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 quite so bad. But um, I spent probably the first forty five minutes that we were we were on the motorway. In fact, the only thing that stopped me using uh, autopilot from the on ramp was that um, was it? Oh, there there were uh, there were traffic lights, um, and so that's a you know their traffic yeah. light uh, reading and stop sign reading capability kicks in you know, supposedly sometime over the over the next couple of months um, realistically you know probably by the end of the the end of the year um, but when you try out their technology on a standard motorway where there are lane markings um, it is you know it feels very close to flawless uh, but there are points where it disengages and I and I you know I guess this is where uh, you know the, this concept of hey, this is autopilot, which means it, it helps you as a driver. It doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, replace you. Uh, and why that's the right sort of ter- terminology, um, I think. Yeah, I got through about forty-five minutes, and then I got to a point where, through roadworks and lane markings that were incorrect or crossing over each other or whatever, um, you know, I took control of the wheel as I had a big truck next to me as well um, and it made sense for me to hold on tightly to that wheel and, and control where to from here uh, but yeah I found there's so many scenarios where the autopilot capability actually works works really nicely and even outside of those motorway scenarios which in New Zealand if you, you talk to any of the any of the Tesla people they will say and and I think even their website sort of says it at the moment is you know hey this is for use on the motorway mm. uh, but even you know I, I was on uh, tried it out on a little country lane where there's just a yeah you know, there's a white line down the middle well it lets you turn on autopilot when it sees yeah. when it sees that line down the middle even if the other side is just you know it it, it goes when from it thinks, tar, tar seal to, to a bit that, of lawn like, where, yeah where, where it where it thinks it's got some differentiation it'll let you turn it yeah. on uh, if that lane marking in the middle disappears and it goes to one lane, uh, it will it'll keep driving and 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 doing its uh, its its best, and it'll disengage and you know it gives you a bit of an alert when it's time to take over. Uh, but you can you can travel you know a lot of distance. The um, you know what would traditionally be called a, a adaptive cruise control. Uh, Tesla call it traffic aware uh, cruise control. Uh, seems to work. Mm. Yeah, seems to work very well with just handling the acceleration and the braking and 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 so on for you. And I can see that in a few months' time, if they do turn on the uh, the traffic light piece and those other bits and pieces, uh, and the sort of driving around on city streets that they're talking about, it's going to be a, a really cool experience. Mm. Uh, but there's 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 definitely a few more hoops before it gets yeah, to that seriously cool stage, and uh, and a lot more until it's like I'm going to go to sleep and let Tesla. Yeah, I think you know. before you go to sleep, <laughs> I I personally think Elon Musk has a greater chance of getting to Mars before the before any self driving car is going to let you sleep in it or drive itself to the garage or do all any of those things. And I'll justify why I'm not just throwing <laughs> this stuff out there. I think we, we've sent things to Mars, right? So 
we know how to do that. It's yes, a very yes, complex thing to yeah. do. Yeah. And yeah. getting a human there is, is you know, a, a scaling that up. But we have done it as a, as a, as a humans. We've done that. We haven't got to a point in time where a car is completely driving itself in all scenarios, all weather scenarios and, and stuff like that. And and the way artificial and, – and I've met a number of AI engineers who are working at Tesla and, and so on and so forth. And um, I think the challenge the challenge is the way uh, deep learning works and, and much of the much of the technology behind what these cars are doing – is is basically it's putting things into buckets and it's trying to discern what what those things are, and whilst you can collect a lot of data, that data creates bias to different buckets, um, and so what happens in a scenario that doesn't happen often is that you, you, it can the, the AI can get confused and it will prefer something it's seen more often, and that that's the general problem with with deep learning is this overfitting of data in these data scenarios. And so what, what we've found is that we it, the, these grand kind of comments of, sorry, my, my watch is buzzing me here, um, these grand comments of, you know, these self-driving cars that you'll be able to drive off and you only use it 5% of your time, it can serve all these other people. Um, I think I think the challenges are that on a, what you do in a car is – fundamentally far more complex than just driving on a on a motorway and it will always be far more complex when you have people who aren't in self-driving cars and, and all of these things that everybody's been worried about and i'm a very big proponent of self-driving cars but i'm not seeing how the technology is going to get over these barriers so they've tried to create these very controlled scenarios which is absolutely the right way to do it i know that people are talking about the car that will park itself in the supermarket shopping lot which i think is great like as a feature of my car if i can drive me to the front door of the mall and it go park itself fantastic right come pick me up when i'm coming out of the mall awesome very controlled environments to do that you think of somewhere like amsterdam um where you have small cars on you know little little motorbikes bikes pedestrians everywhere um, the fact that you're negotiating these kind of do I go do I not go scenarios with these different people how do you how does the AI get to the point where it's negotiating with humans whether it's got right away or not in these ambiguous scenarios so so I think um, I think that there are a huge amount of valuable features that um, self-driving cars, can provide before they get to fully autonomous. And I actually think the barriers to getting to fully autonomous are probably a little bit harder than um, than getting to Mars. Yeah. But that, yeah. I mean that's a that's a I'm being I'm being radical in a statement like that, but um, I'm I'm a technologist, but I I do think that sometimes like we've gone past the period of hype and it would be nice to have some you know, reality here because I mm. think people will still buy these cars. I, I I said to you before we kicked off that I'd buy a Tesla because I think it's a a superior um, electric car. I I'm not buying it because I think it's going to drive me everywhere and I'm going to sleep. But um, yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a very good car. Mm. Well, th- this will be an ongoing conversation, but I probably will move a chunk of it onto uh, onto YouTube so we don't have every show uh, <laughs> del- delving into my latest uh, find, find- findings of the week. Well, right? um, so yeah, for those that those that are interested, uh, you know, keep 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 a watch on uh, on the YouTube uh, on my YouTube channel there, and uh, yeah, we'll certainly be putting some some bits and pieces up. Uh, just to fill in how that software how that software is progressing. Now, 
on the local front, uh, as well as what uh, how Tesla drives on New Zealand roads, we've got uh, Vodafone saying that they're going to step up and revamp their uh, their customer service locally. They're dropping uh, ten ten million dollars into this uh, this refresh, according to the email that they uh, they they sent through uh, today. And they're, I think, you know, their goal, because they've gone through this process of uh, outsourcing or, you know, moving a chunk of their customer uh, support overseas, is to make sure that those who, you know, genuinely need a, a higher level of uh, assistance will have access to somebody locally uh, who has the expertise and the skills to really help help them through and I think it yeah it's it's fair to say over the last few years that Vodafone have probably struggled um, in, a, in a number of ways part of the, part of that has been around customer service and part of that has related probably to a you know I'm picking a lack of investment from Vodafone group uh, internationally who who look to be uh, trying to work out how you know what they needed to do to offload uh, Vodafone New Zealand and and now that that now that that's happened, uh, the new owners are yeah, very interested. Well, how do we solve these problems that the company's got and and on the customer service front that that's one of them. So um, they're calling it uh, X Squad. So yes, I will be um, um, yeah, I'll be very very curious to see how they uh, you know how how they how they go with that. What that actually. Um, looks like and how that fits together with the rest of their uh, their offerings into the local market. But I think you know it's um, it's been a challenge for Vodafone delivering uh, service at the at the level that I think they 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 would have liked to uh, for for quite some time. Mm. Um, not in every circumstances. A lot of times, I think yeah, people get service that's uh, uh, yeah. Totally okay, but uh, we've we've certainly seen it uh, at the other end of the scale. Yeah, I, I think Jason Paris understands what um, what wins in this the retail market or, or the you know tele in the telecommunications market, uh, if you can call it telecommunications anymore. Um, and it is the client and client satisfaction that user experience, and we've seen a massive transformation from Spark over the last, over Simon Muda's tenure there. Of which Jason was a big part of, mm. um, and I think I think that's exciting. If if you've got your two largest telcos really going after that client experience, it's going to make life better for all of us. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how hard they compete here. Because if if they're focused on if they're focused on that as a value, then that's great for us. Yeah, it looks as though they're going to take a different approach to to this. They're talking about a you know. A, a customer experience that delivers a one-stop fix and not a call center that's focused on the you know, traditional metrics of you know how quick can you get somebody off the uh, yeah. off the phone yeah. and so on, right? Which uh, yeah is can 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 be a real disaster. So yeah, it uh, it, it looks it looks encouraging and you know very uh, interested to see how how they progress. But you know I think the sign so far is that the the uh, new ownership and um, the the leadership of Jason Paris um, is you know really going to um, 
be of dividends for for the New Zealand market, uh, I guess for for Vodafone, um, and yeah, probably we see we see a little a little bit more uh, you know competition uh, in the in the market when when our big players are um, you know competing aggressively. Mm-hmm. So uh, and of course last week we had the uh, the the launch of uh, Kogan Mobile. Uh, which was uh, the um, uh, virtu- virtual uh, uh, virtual mobile network, uh, Kogan being the Australian sort of retail brand, uh, uh, a mini Amazon of, of sorts, I suppose, uh, in the Australian market, also selling into the New Zealand market. They've had a, um, a virtual mobile network um, offering for, for, some, for some time. Uh, in the Australian market, they've launched into New Zealand Fairly, fairly aggressively. Uh, I guess the the standout thing is across all of their plans is well. I don't know about this. There's probably a couple of points that stood out. Uh, one, all of the plans they seem to be offering have got unlimited calls and texting, which you know I think we hadn't really seen before, other than maybe I don't know at, at the higher price points, sort of over thirty dollars. So they're doing that at a, around half that sort of price, uh, and then some pretty aggressive discounts. For those signing up to a plan for say uh, a pre uh, prepaid type uh, plan uh, for twelve months, so they're paying in advance for a year's worth of uh, mobile, and um, yeah, being able to being able so to get a big a big chunk of data for thirty yeah thirty odd dollars yeah. dollars a, a, so a month. So this in the main centres. Um, well, you order online, so it doesn't matter doesn't really matter where. Where you are, um, and uh, and you know away you go. So, a a different uh, a different sort of offering from what Vodafone mm. uh, themselves offer. But it, I guess it gives Vodafone um, some way into those sort of lower value customers where Skinny has been competing. For instance, it's a it's a bit of a compete there, and they'll obviously be be you know sharing sharing that with. Um, uh, you know, with with the brand itself, with with Kogan uh, Mobile, who are going out and uh, uh, and selling it. But these initial uh, plans look uh, look pretty aggressive. Whether they still will be a year on, um, mm. we we will see because they've kind of got these initial bundles. And yeah, you can get uh, um, you can sign up for a, for a year and uh, and and get a very uh, a very uh, you know. Well-priced bundle, shall we say? I'm just trying to find the uh, um, the figures again of what. So, what, what, what they, do you think happens to um, two degrees in this competitive market where the two biggest players are, are competing for client experience, and you're not not necessarily being terrible at what they're doing anymore? We had incumbents who were um, both both are now revitalising to be very very focused on client experience. What do you think happens to to the likes of two degrees, the competition becomes very hard. Yeah, I mean they, they came into the market competing, you know, on that that, that price uh, basis, and they're, you know, I think they're no no longer the cheapest offering in the market in a lot of cases. But they, you know, they have certainly have been innovating and and delivering things that we hadn't seen from other providers. I imagine they'll be continuing to look for those ways to differentiate. They've got a, a reasonable slice of the market now, and people 
don't tend to change these things lightly. I guess it goes back to some mm. of those earlier discussions around, uh, you know, changing brands of smartphones or changing how we uh, how we consume content. Um, yeah, people aren't, uh, aren't aren't super keen on uh, mm. on on doing so. So yeah, we will we'll see how that plays out. But I, you know, I don't see them going uh, going anywhere in the short term. But yeah, it will be a challenge for them as five G comes into the market. Uh, if they yeah they can't make the numbers sort of add up uh, to to make that uh, to make that work so mm. yeah we'll 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 see uh, I guess you know the positive thing is that they you know they I think they are they are uh, profitable now and you know I hope that uh, hope that continues so yeah yeah I, I think when the market when when you're talking about fifteen dollar a month plans and um, you know these pre-play plans and, and what you're getting for mobile phones now. I think the price, the price competition, competing on price, I think is disappearing. But maybe I'm out of touch, so I, I won't say that I am in touch. But I, I do think that that price as a differentiator is is well and truly gone in this market. Um, so it is the what is the next thing? And I think we're seeing people focus on client experience and making sure clients actually like what you're doing, mm. um, which is mm. a funny thing. Um, well, it was definitely not New Zealand telcos 10 years ago or, or even six years ago. Um, so I think it's great for us as consumers and, and, and businesses as well. Um, and, and that competition, I think, um, as long as we can keep that competition going, I think the, the better for all of us. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's see how it progresses. Yeah, just looking at their uh, so they've got a plan and they published these headline figures, a three hundred and eighty four gigabyte plan, but actually it's thirty two gigabytes per thirty days. But it's, mm. so you're basically getting a thirty two gigabyte plan there, and um, you have to prepay it for a year up front. Costs you four hundred and twenty four dollars, which what's that around thirty six dollars mm. a month, which is unheard of in the in the local market with unlimited calls and, and texts. And look, if they're willing to commit to offering that into the market for the next 12 months, there's a reasonably good chance we will see that being offered again in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Even though this, you know, they're talking about this being a, yeah, this is a, the, the, the current uh, discount and they've got their full retail price listed as uh, $700 for that, uh, for that plan. So, I'm I'm curious to uh, to watch it. We already have some pretty competitive rates, good speeds in terms of our mobile networks. It, it's really tended to be the customer service that's been uh, the challenge. I imagine you know, uh, Kogan will be, you know, their their focus is very much on being, uh, you know, online customer service and so on, rather than. Uh, them wanting to be taking a whole lot of calls from uh, people mm-hmm. on on such a cut price uh, cut price offering, but uh, yeah, it certainly helps stir things up in the in the market a little bit. Uh, now, more data breach activity. <laughs> not a not a not a good look. Uh, reading yesterday uh, about. New Zealand uh, Transport Agency, uh, NZTA, ad- admitting to uh, basically pretty pretty poor uh, security on you know one particular thing that they were uh, involved in and an in, in API uh, where people were able to go and um, uh, pull a pull a whole lot of data that they 
they shouldn't have been. And uh, look, this is an ongoing challenge, isn't it? There's there's people all up and down the country, inside government, outside government, every which direction, people coding and doing things from home to the biggest organisations. And it's it's very easy, particularly with this sort of agile approach that we have today to you know doing everything at at, at pace. Uh, it's very easy to fall into a into a situation where information isn't being secured as as well as it uh, as it should be. Uh, there's not an excuse for it, but it seems to be yeah all too common unfortunately what with you know in new zealand being in the media mm. for it, it recently and but yeah uh, i think you know. well there was another government agency you yeah. had a treasury putting the um you know the budget out uh, the week before yeah so i mean i i think what disappoints me is that these things aren't um, the security flaws that come from the sophisticated attacks. These are very basic things that are going wrong. The NCTA yes, yeah, scenario is somebody put an authentication token into the into the code and just hard coded yeah. it there for anybody to be able to view and see and get access to 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 that API. And and I think yeah. that to me is just like that is basic stuff that um, means that I I think. I mean, I have developers, but number, you know, we, we, we do development and we do development on, uh, you know, very sensitive information at times. And um, I think you have to, from day one with any developer or with anything you're doing, understand what you're trying to protect, actually understand what you're trying to protect and why mm. you're doing it um, and make sure that that's the core of what you're doing. None of these breaches, be Air New Zealand, be it, um, be it the Treasury, be it NZTA, none of these... Uh, uh, breaches that that were um, sophisticated in any way, shape, or form, and, and and you have to wonder what's happening with these sophisticated breaches because I've seen some incredibly sophisticated attacks uh, where you have recruiters, you know, recruiters offering you jobs um, or trying to get your CV so they can impersonate you and man in the middle attacks and stuff like that, right? Where the social engineering of that. You're not going to report a, re a, a recruiter reaching out to you to your IT organization, right? So there are some really sophisticated attacks that go on out there, and a lot of it's social engineering. Seeing this stuff, this is basic, very, very basic. It's very disappointing, um, particularly with the money invested into what we're doing with CERT. Um, and it just kind of says to me that I don't think the message has got through to a lot of um, if, the, if this is at the government level, it hasn't got through, and, and New Zealand being a very big organisation as well, it just hasn't got through to the right levels or the right people at the right resonance level. Um, and I think it's a shame. It's a shame on everybody in the tech industry that this stuff is happening. Yeah, there's a lot more work to be done. Sadly. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening into this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time to dive in and really uh, chat to Nick Whitehouse about the ins and outs of uh, McCarthy Finch, uh, but it's a pretty interesting NZ uh, tech startup story, so we will be publishing that as a separate episode. So 
definitely stay tuned to New Zealand Tech Podcast to catch that. Uh, and of course, we do have some other tech startup uh, stories across on the New Zealand Business Podcast. So if you're not already listening to the New Zealand Business Podcast, uh, well worth a listen. And they've got uh, stories on there of the likes of Pushpay and uh, and and Zero amongst others. So yes, definitely some fascinating listening there. Uh, that's that's us for this episode. Thanks everyone. Catch you again on the next one. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.